0: Hey, what's up, Story Geeks? Thanks for joining us today on the Story Geeks podcast. I'm Justin, and we are down to our final two podcasts in this summer series of conversations looking at the themes and messages present in video games. Today, we'll be discussing some of the big ideas communicated through What Remains of Edith Finch by Giant Sparrow. I consider myself a casual gamer, much like the majority of our current Story Geeks community, which is why I'm joined for this series by a serious gamer, my co-host Ryan Swindoll. How's it going, Ryan? Going so well. So excited about this game, it gets better and better. It really does and we are joined by Jimmy Roth in this conversation. Now, if you've been on our Facebook page recently, you'll probably recognize his name because he's been an awesome contributor to the conversations around these games. He's also just a wonderful person, so we're excited he's a part of this podcast. How are you doing, Jimmy?
1: Howdy, howdy, I'm doing awesome, guys. It's great to be here.
0: To make sure you don't miss any of this series on video games, to check out our previous conversations, or to listen to the big stuff we have coming up, you can subscribe to The Story Geeks on your favorite podcast provider. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Thanks for listening. All right, as we begin our conversation, we are going to start spoiler free. We will be entering those sealed off rooms in the house a little bit later. Additionally, this game, more than any of the other games in this series, presents itself almost like a movie that you just walk through. So if you were to watch a playthrough on YouTube, you would of course lose the interactive nature and become a passive observer of this discovery-based journey, but this game is so story and character driven that you would still get a great experience. So I'd encourage you to play or watch this game before listening to our discussion. Ryan, as the curator of our list of games, could you set the tone for what remains of Edith Finch for us? You play
2: as Edith Finch, who is Is 17 years old and she's returning to her childhood home to find out what happened to her extended family, most of whom lived in the home at one point or another, and it's clear from her journal that no blood relation of her family is alive today. She is the last survivor and that's a big question in the early game. Why? What happened to her family? As you approach this house, her childhood home, she narrates the feeling of being afraid of it. And as a player, it's easy to share in her disquiet. You're looking up at this house, and it's very abnormal. It's a leaning tower of rooms that have been bolted on, and it's precarious at its height. It's probably five stories tall and it's clear that most of the constructions have been done later. The interior is not just cluttered, but it's flooded with stacks of books and canned fish and all kinds of weird things. The rooms are also weirdly sealed like it's some kind of condemned property, but then tiny peepholes have been drilled in the doors which allow you to look inside into these themed menageries that relate to the people who used to occupy them. So these are some of the mysteries that are sitting at the heart of the beginning of the game and I'm so curious, gentlemen, how you experienced the beginning of this game especially since I think both of you came into this without knowing what this game was even about.
1: Yeah, I didn't watch a trailer I haven't read anything. The only thing I knew was what you described in the prior podcast. So Walking through the woods as you start to approach this home, it reminded me of when we were house hunting for our home. And I'm just kidding. No, it was, it, it's, a, it's a very, uh, it's just a very creepy feeling. It's not a horror vibe, but there's like this melancholy mystery about it. So when she says she's uncomfortable about the home as you're starting to enter this, I mean, you really can feel that. The home itself is like its own character. It's just this looming figure sticking out of the woods.
0: Yeah, Jimmy, you used the word melancholy, which I think I've used more than any other word when describing this game. I have experienced going back to childhood homes or walking through an empty home or apartment right before I'm about to move out or something like that. So I think I walked in in kind of a reminiscent mood Mm. but I've never walked back into a home that is still fully furnished that I used to live in or that is completely abandoned. You were saying that there's a creepy vibe and there totally is. It wasn't the kind of vibe where I was afraid something would jump out from around the corner but just how still everything is, how quiet everything is. It was just sad that she had to do that alone.
1: You know, and it's funny you say that because I have had the rare opportunity to walk back through my childhood home. This was years ago. And the current family that occupied it, they had kids and everything. And we stopped and said hi, and they invited us in. And it was really surreal. But the difference was it was fully furnished with their stuff. So while weird, it wasn't sad. It's a joyful feeling to see another family enjoying that space and occupying it and living life. And when you enter into this place, it's exactly as you say, it's still, it's quiet. Things are left in a way that it looks like somebody left abruptly. There's untold stories that are being held in here. And that just kind of puts this mystery vibe to it that really sets the tone.
0: Yeah, untold stories, but then also no new stories. Yeah, When you walked into your childhood home, there's a sense of life has continued. Absolutely. And so it's sad that there's kind of an arrested development in (sighs) this house where it stops. Every single person that passes away, and we'll get more into that later, that's not really addressed in what I would say is a meaningful way. Mm. Or is it? Or is it?
1: I don't know. I was pretty (laughs) upset that they painted over
0: all my walls.
1: I had some pretty cool (laughs) new walls.
0: I had some quality Quan drawings on under that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so curious when
2: you realized that this was a game about death. Mm. And if that hit you early on in the experience, or if you knew that going in, or if that kind of came upon you after one or two of the first stories.
0: Yeah, I knew it would involve death just from your statements about it, Rai, but just about a week before I played it, my aunt passed away. Oh. And, you know, that is sad. And we've been dealing with that in our family. But then my wife and I are also expecting our first kid. Mm. And so I was in this place of thinking about multiple generations of my family where there's loss, but then also the anticipation. Of new life and in the loss of my aunt we were also able to celebrate elements of her life but you know Mm -hmm. she's still gone so I feel like I was in the perfect headspace to enter into this story in a way that would yeah kind of touch me personally
1: Mm. the other thing that this game opened up for me is I really don't think anybody likes dealing with death I mean that's Mm. the last thing anybody wants to work through And you're kind of forced to do that. When I played through this first story and that became apparent, this was a part of it, I had to kind of stop and understand I have to walk through some of these emotions. And some of these are things that I fear. I have two little girls. I fear something ever happening to one of them or anybody in my family, you know? And so this is a very real, tangible thing for me as a player as we start to open this story up.
0: Mm. And when we're talking about stories about death, the way that I kind of categorized this game was with three different movies. So I feel like this game was part Final Destination, where (laughs) we're reminded of just how fragile life is and people die in a really wide variety of ways. It reminded me of Coco because of its Mm -hmm. focus on family and stories and kind of exploring how our relationship with people continues after they pass away in one way or another. Sure. And then Big Fish, Mm. because there are elements of these stories that are a little fantastical, but enough of it is grounded and you're not 100% sure which elements are true and which aren't. And then there are even magical elements that are talked about, like that there is a family curse.
2: So this kind of transitions to the first major moment of the story where you stumble across Molly's room and you've actually taken a secret passage to get there. The kind of secret passage that we always wished existed in our childhood homes when we were kids. And what you experience is this rich tapestry of objects and interests and really it's like a moment frozen in time of molly's life and so molly is actually edith's great aunt and she died when she was 10 years old and that story of her death is narrated in this journal entry that she wrote presumably before she died in her diary and that Entry is completely insane. Mm -hmm. She's talking about eating all this weird stuff and then shape-shifting into ravenous animals who are eating more stuff and she eventually becomes this giant monster who eats herself in her own bed. And what we discover at this point is a, a couple things. One, if we weren't clear what genre of game this was, we are now very certain of it. It's this magical realism which Is this word applied to stories that allow fantasy elements to invade our real world experiences and it blurs the line there's no magic system here it's just that magical things can just happen Mm. and that's normal and so we enter into molly's imaginative version of what we imagine is the end of her life and her storytelling of it is this really ridiculous kid story that doesn't make any sense but then again most children's stories don't make any sense Mm.
1: it's such a tragic thing to walk through a child's eyes as they (laughs) meet their death but the one thing that that really struck me with that is the way that a kid approaches death it's almost like she didn't quite grasp the gravity of the situation here we are reading a diary of a 10 year old Telling a story that makes no sense, but kind of in her own way, she's exploring it. And it's not filled with anger or fear, but it's done in like a mystical, I don't want to say fun way, but kind of a fun way in in that it's told from a kind of a magical perspective. I think that really kind of peels the layers back for how kids see the world. And sometimes things that are as permanent and scary as death don't always uh, i guess have the weight for a child because they just don't know that yet
2: so to expand upon that point jimmy the interesting thing for me is that molly's story while narrated in her diary by her own hand was nonetheless preserved and presented by edie Mm. her mother and we don't know exactly when she would have created this tableau maybe it came later in life when she was alone in the house for 15 years between the time when Edith's mother left to live in India, and then after Edith's dad dies, they move back into the house with the great-grandmother, and that's when they discover all of these rooms, which have become shrines somewhat to all of the people who had died in that place. It's the great-grandmother later in life, in her 70s probably, who's creating these experiences of the final moments of their life, or maybe a celebration of their life. I just find that really interesting how a child's imagination becomes the dominant story about their own life, even though we would say very commonly today, oh, well, it it ended early. It was a tragic death. Sure. That's not how Edie, the grandmother, thinks of it.
1: Yeah. I think that's very telling as to how she approaches death and how she thinks about life. And it's exactly as you say, rather than talking of it as a tragic story, tells it from the very imaginative words of Molly. Does that make her
0: crazy? Makes me crazy. (laughs) It's a crazy story. Our desire is for this series to feel like a book club for video games. So we want it to be a conversation where you get to share your thoughts, experiences, and questions please join the Story Geeks Facebook group, which is where most of our dialogue is happening for each of these games. You can also engage with us on Instagram by following at the Story Geeks. We look forward to hearing from you.
1: So did Odin really sail all the way? <laughs> Why should I believe her?
2: So that's the point, right? Like all of these stories are mythical. Right. And by mythical, we mean like clearly made up like big fish, but perhaps with a germ of truth, right? They supposedly floated their house from Norway down around South America, all the way up to Washington State, and that's where it sank.
0: (laughs) So close, (laughs) within like throwing distance. (laughs)
2: So it's very apocryphal, right? Like, there's no way this actually happened, but yet this is the story. So if you haven't played this game, you're gonna need some context, because this game opens up in a crazy way. There's probably a dozen characters in this game, and they're all related through three generations. That can be so complicated to keep track of they actually use this diagram of this family tree and they fill it in as you go along and that's an amazing visual aid to help sort all this information.
1: I failed the quiz at the end of the game that makes you repeat all the characters and timelines and I'm kidding, there's no (laughs) quiz. But it is a very big and complex family.
2: So there's these three generations and you get to play most of these stories and experience what Edie has enshrined as their kind of final moments. So we'll probably mention a few of these as we go along and we'll kind of explain the story when we do. But I think we need to tackle some big picture ideas here. And the one that really gets me is this question of how ought we to make sense of death? Mm. Mm. And we are shown how Edie does it by creating these pictures of the final moments of these family members, and it's very much celebrating who they were, what they Mm -hmm. loved, the joys of life, and not dwelling at all really on the tragedy. In fact, ignoring it entirely. And this is what Edith's mom, Dawn, really rejects, and why they leave the house when Edith is 10 years old. It's this conflict between them about how they make sense of death. And so I think we need to talk about what this game is saying about this and whether we agree.
1: Yeah, each of these family members experience multiple deaths of these relatives. I think it's a, a very clear picture of some people are able to look at it and celebrate their life and not be terribly saddened by it, and others want to shut those emotions out and we we see that with dawn she quite literally boards up some of these rooms and i feel like that's a direct reflection of her not wanting to deal with the reality of it or the emotion that comes with it. it is a very hard topic to process
0: yeah as i'm looking at the characters it seems like edie and edith are the only two that really embrace processing death on some level because edie has the connection to making all the paintings, telling Mm. these stories, and creating the cemetery. So there's a lot of remembering and honoring in Edie's story. And then Edith, throughout the entire game, is exploring and learning and kind of accepting and processing. I feel like everyone else in the game is trying to, Jimmy, like you were saying, resist it, like Dawn did with sealing up the rooms, or even get away from it. We see this with Odin leaving Norway. Sure. Walter moved underground. Mm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. That's a big one. Yeah, Dawn moved to the Loft after her brothers passed away. And then to India. Yeah, and to India, and then away from the Finch House again. So what is Edie's way of approaching or making sense of death? I think Edie's way of approaching death is sort of K sera, sera And that's like almost as deep as it goes. There doesn't seem to be, going back to what Jimmy was saying earlier, a gravity to what has happened, to these deaths that have happened. It kind of feels like Rain off a duck's back and Edie just keeps going, and she makes some little offhand comment about the curse. Like, oh, you know, the curse again. It doesn't feel like Edie's approach encourages much discernment or preparation or protection or responsibility, whereas I think that Dawn wants to control some things and be a little more prepared. And so I think those two views have something to offer each other when in an extreme, neither of them is correct. And so they kind of need to come to a middle. And I'm wondering if Edith ends up being that middle that's kind of holding on to Edie's view in one way and holding on to Dawn's view in another because you can't control everything. You have to release some of that, but you can control some things. So maybe we should take protecting the children a little more seriously than Edie did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, this
2: really comes down to this common cultural idea of death as being a tragedy, especially when it comes to someone who hasn't lived a full life. Mm -hmm. And so there's this statement that they did not get to do what they were meant to do. Mm. And Edie's approach enshrining each of her family members is to discover what it was that they got to do. And in fact, memorialize the fact that even in their death, they got to do it. Calvin's a great story of this. He's the boy that is on the swing set. And once you begin getting momentum on the swing, all of a sudden, this horror kind of falls on you as you're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to make him swing all the way around the tree. (laughs) It was awesome. (laughs) It was what I've always wanted to do. Exactly right. It's this childhood joy that everyone's thought of, but no one's really done. And now you're doing it in this game. This is the moment, but you also know He's going to be dead by the end of this story. (laughs) And sure enough, by the end of the story, he's flying. And you know, realistically, he's going to land in those rocks and he's going to be dead. But according to the narrative, he flew and he was the astronaut he always wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think Edie's actually processing his life and the fact that He got to be the astronaut in the end. It didn't matter if he actually enrolled in school and went to the moon. What mattered was that he lived his life to the fullest, even as he passed through death.
1: And that's kind of where I was picking up a similar experience. So you play as several children who meet their deaths at an early age. And I felt like in each one, they died doing the things they wanted to do, or they they did it in maybe a a happy or a fantasy, mystical, kind of magical way that sort of softens the severity of it. It's not joyful, but it's just not as severe and sad and filled with fatalism. And yet ironically when you see an adult somebody who's lived a full life who passed away you know it can be a very sad thing even though they were often the ones that got to live longer it's so it's this kind of weird paradox where we can take that very seriously and a child dying is like mortifying that's like my worst fear in the world but yet it's painted in a lighter tone the way Edie memorializes him and tells that story it's a weird thing for me to process So
2: of the 13 deaths that occur in Edith's family, Edith included, all but three are minors. They're under 18 years old. Mm, Even Edith dies at age 17, presumably when she's giving birth to her son. And I think that this game is really wanting to get at these common ways we talk about death. Lines like you just said, Jimmy, where, you know, the characters don't seem to be living in the severity of death or the gravity of death. And I think that this game wants to just totally come at that idea and say, Whoa! Why do you believe that? Who said that death has to be grave?
1: Yeah. That's a hard thing to process because a lot of people struggle to deal with it. I thought Sam's response was very interesting. Sam actually lost his twin brother, who was Calvin, on the swing. Yep. And to grow up with that pain, that has to affect you. And we see some of these characters go into hiding effectively. So, some, like we said, Walter moves down into the basement. Dawn boards things up and she leaves later. Yeah. Sam joined the military. And in some ways, I almost feel like that was his way of processing it, was maybe chasing it. He was a hunter. He did things that were a little bit more dangerous or on the edge. And I wonder if maybe that was his way of dealing with the pain that he's grown up with or he's faced with
0: his family. Hmm. I feel like the title, What Remains of Edith Finch, could also be asked as a question. And I feel like the answer is so much. You know, Edith (laughs) left so much, regardless of which Edith we're talking about. Because I feel like we could have a conversation on that. And I think the answer would end up being the game is named after both of them at the same time. Right. But when we're thinking about what will be left behind after we're gone what will we choose to be passed down whether that's physical objects or stories or memories i'm right there with you i think the title is genius
2: even the word remains yeah is reminiscent of you know a corpse mm-hmm. and this idea that when someone dies they're lost is very materialistic absolutely you know their brain is dead all the neurons and synapses have crumbled and whatever personality this person had is is no longer with us on earth but this game challenges our materialism and Mm -hmm. says no like a great part of this person does remain and what are you going to do about it i mean you can only see this person through the joy of their life By fixating on the joy of their life, not by fixating on the tragedy of their death.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It really kind of comes down to Edith's son, who has been left with Edith's journal. And now he's read the whole story of his family tree, and the decision is left in his lap whether he's going to hide from it or whether he's going to embrace this wild narrative of it. Mm. And I think emotionally where the game wants to take you is to that hey well why don't we just talk about death differently mm. why don't we just think of it as another joyful moment in the story of all people because as Edith says at the end of this at the end of this game it's a lot to ask but i don't want you to be sad that i'm gone i want you to be amazed that any of us ever had a chance to be here at all and it's that grateful perspective that is so rare to see i mean really it's a perspective of faith it is and often we think of death i think just very faithlessly Mm. and we use the word fatalistically to talk about that often but absolutely it's really this idea that death is a meaning destroyer
1: Mm. yeah you know and that's such a great great line at the end of the game there and it really touches on just how precious and even how fragile life is. And on that note, you can look at it when it's when life is taken away or lost. Uh, it's, it is a sad moment. But on the other hand, it's very powerful to stop and just consider what a blessing it is to be alive or to have even been born into this world to begin with. So I think it does leave you with an outlook that says, hey, maybe you ought to really reconsider how you view this stuff and how you think about it because it is insanely easy to look at death and take it super sad and hard and it is a tough thing to work through. There's no qualms about that.
2: Yeah, bereavement is terrible.
1: Absolutely. Mm. It's it's horrible. But there's a lot to be grateful for in life and even if it was a short time or a long time, there's still so much wonderful things that can come out of that, you know?
0: And when I'm thinking about how Edie approached death, it brings me back to some of our first conversations, Ryan, about video games and what you value in video games, not so much the shoot 'em up, you know, destroy all these monsters or people or whatever, but games that are more thoughtful about death. Mm. And this game presents a number of things. Just one, having the cemetery on the house property is embracing death in some way and being a memento mori that hey this is present this is a part of all of our history this is a part of our family history but where it could be fatalistic and only somber that becomes a normalized thing And then in the house, kind of the story of the cemetery continues with all the paintings and all the stories. So you get this really round view of life and death held together as a continuum and as a story, not only, yeah, something that ended and now they're dead and that's it, period, but a continuation of remembering and telling and celebrating who these people were.
1: Mm.
0: It's a way that churches used to be that cemeteries were
2: built and laid around the property of the church. Mm. So that as you crossed into the church building, you passed the generations that had come before.
1: Mm.
2: And you were also reminded of the resurrection.
1: Wow. Yeah.
2: But we have since, you know, outsourced graves. And in fact, who's buried today, right? many, many people are cremated. Right. And we don't preserve the kind of rich memory that I think Edie is challenging us to do as the family historian, not only the stories, but also the things and the impressions such that even the spaces they used to occupy
0: now feel like they're haunted by them. Yeah. And there's a line that's almost a throwaway line but seems to be a gateway <laughs> into some interesting things for the player. Just that Dawn seemed to become religious to help process death. Yeah, And some people might look at religion as a little bit more of what Edie's been putting forward, right? Tall tales, a mm-hmm. little magic that makes the pill easier to swallow. But if religion is a truer part of the story if religion does help us make sense of that picture that you gave Rai of walking into church walking into the present by passing the past and then also looking forward to the future that i don't know might present the most understandable narrative of how we can approach the death of loved ones and also eventually our own death We're on the Story Geeks podcast So I feel like I have to bring up Just the idea of story at some point And how important it is To this game Because, and tying into what You were saying, Rai, about You know, premature death But what were they able to accomplish Edith, dying at 17 You know, again, by many standards Way too early Very tragic and all of that But she's able to be a historian of her family and she captures over a hundred years of life and preserves it and passes it on to the next generation and also produces the next generation and so it feels similar i already mentioned the movie coco that there's like this second death when your stories are no longer told when no one is alive Mm. that knows your stories then that's the real death and Mm. so there's something really interesting just about a family history and being able to recount favorite memories of people after they've passed away because similar to the picture of a house with rooms sealed off these people are still there to a certain extent there's still a an existing relationship even though we can't make new memories with that person anymore there's still a relationship and I'd say primarily through the stories so just how cool it is that Edith is able to pass on the story yeah
1: you know what's so neat is not only is she able to capture all that but a lot of the stories that she's passing down are the kind of mystic tall tale versions mm-hmm. because we don't know what actually happened for some of these we can guess for many of them but nonetheless It's sometimes you just won't know, and I love that that mystery kind of still follows down. It may not be the exact way that some events occurred, but nonetheless, the story is continuing down for Christopher. So my grandfather, and he's still alive, he is so funny, and he is missing half of his index finger. Hmm. And for the first, I don't know, however many years of my life, I was a little boy, and every time we would go visit, I would always ask him, Grandpa, what happened to your finger? And every time I got a different answer Yes. and they were so great. One of them was he was at the bank and he was opening his own vault. Nobody has their own vault in a bank <laughs> and the robbers held him hostage. and said, tell us the combination. And he said, and I stood there and looked them in the eye. And I said, I won't tell you it's the principal. And they shot my finger off. And we all knew there's just no way. Of course, I believed him in the moment. And then another one was he was being chased down. uh, I don't know by who. Maybe more robbers or bad guys. And he tripped. And the only part of his hand that extended out was his finger. And it landed on a railroad track and a train ran over. (laughs) Like, these are ridiculous stories. But I can recount them so clearly. And those are stories... I want to pass down to my kids and say to my daughter that your great grandfather told me these, like they're hilarious. And it seems like there's some level of importance to preserve that. There's a level of joy that's had for me to remember those stories. And that is significant of the humor of my grandpa. I want that to be a way I remember him. And so in a similar way, I think it's neat that Edith is recording some of the tall tale versions of history I think that's important. I do think that's very telling of who these family members were, and that says a lot about them.
0: Yeah.
2: It does say a lot about them. It does. That's exactly it, right? Yep. Because if you were to just recount a dry history of the facts,
1: you'd have no idea of the people. Right. Right. You, you lose the color with it.
0: Yeah, because it's content and affect. And so, Jimmy, if you were to only pass down that grandpa lost his finger and here's how it really happened. But he tells stories. That's true. Right. But when you tell those stories, even Ryan and I and our listeners get a sense for who your grandpa is. And yeah. we already love him. You know? Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. I still don't know how he has lost that finger. <laughs> I, I don't know which version has been the true version.
0: He's the Joker of index fingers. <laughs> we hope you're enjoying this curated list of video games to play and that you find the discussion on them to be thought-provoking and entertaining. If you would like us to continue producing video game content, let us know. One way to do that is support us on Patreon, among other things that would allow us to create a second podcast focused solely on video games. We'll also be putting up some recommendations from Ryan for other games to try if you love the game we're discussing. So head over to our Patreon page and check that out. If you want more information on this podcast or a backlog of all of our content, be sure to visit thestorygeeks.com. Takeaways from our conversation. This game is a reminder of a number of things. It's a reminder of how fragile life is, but it's an invitation to value how precious it is. We've also been talking about how to process death, and I think engaging in living life and processing death are almost inseparable in what Mm. the game is presenting. I think the game presents some poor ways of living in life, And grappling with death, we see that in Walter's story, where there's such a fear of what might happen because of what he witnessed happening to his sister, that he's one of the longest living finches. But we wouldn't say he lived much of a life. He moved underground and played it so safe and lived the same day over and over. We see Lewis, who is Edith's older brother, and he spends his life fantasizing about what his life could be like. He could have gone out and lived some of the fantasies, but he just lived it out in his head and his life ended tragically. And then there was the sister Barbara, who was probably my favorite story to play through the comic book story. Yeah, But so much of her young life was trying to recapture what was. And so it was kind of looking back. And so I think this game, it invites you to ask those questions, to engage in reality, live life, and also think about and engage with the reality of death, whether it's the death of your loved ones, your family members or friends, or your own impending death. That's just a reality for all of us. And so I really liked a toast that Edie gives at the end of their last night together. She says, to our final night together and all of our final nights apart. And it's connecting those two, two ideas again. It's always looking forward, always engaged in life, and engaging with this is the end of something right now. I just walk away thinking about how do I want to engage well in light of I'm alive, how cool is that, and how can I continue to process the deaths that have already occurred in my life, the deaths that will occur, and then prepare for my own death, especially in light of passing things on to our children.
2: Yeah. Mm.
0: I can be so moralistic about death. I think we all can
2: about looking back at a life and asking whether it was well-lived about whether the death was right or deserved or ended you know sooner than it ought. I think the challenge that this game presents to me is to be more open to interpreting death always in a positive way, that's mm. very challenging because it feels very unaccountable. Yeah. And I don't ever want to look at the death of a baby and think, this is okay. Mm. And that's where I think this game really cuts close and says, you know, it may be okay to be haunted because what is haunting you may be joy, not tragedy. That's just not anything I've ever thought of before, so <laughs> mm, I, get to, uh, I get to sit with that now, right? Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> you tend to think of your ghosts as having unresolved issues, <laughs> but maybe these ghosts are actually the ghosts of joy and celebration of brevity. And we don't know what to do with that because the stories are don't hook up to anything we're familiar with. Mm. It's overwhelming. I definitely cried at the end of this game again. Mm. Having played it all over again, it was hard mm. to to accept Edith's line to not be sad after we've gotten to know her through this whole game. Oh I know. And I'm I'm <laughs> heartbroken for her child. Because I'm like Edith seems really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> she's
1: wearing her hipster gloves the whole game, right? I know the Home Alone gloves with the fingertips sticking out, <laughs> the, the awesome knitted gloves, and she she's artistic,
2: she's interesting, she's adventurous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you find out at the very last scene that she didn't even make it. Yeah, yeah. and you you kind of hoped that she would be the exception to the rule, but the game, I think, is very honest and doesn't allow her to be that exception or give you that satisfaction and instead lets her voice say of her own death, would you for my sake not be sad but instead look at the joy.
1: Hmm.
2: It's amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it felt a lot like a call or just a challenge to stop for a moment and think about how I would want to be remembered or what kind of things do I want to pass on. What's important as far as, you know, raising my children and thinking about the things that, you know, I know I'll go through as I grow and experience the deaths of family members at age before me. And I hate the thought of it, but mostly what I hate about it is because I love them and I I will miss them. But on that same token, there is so many wonderful memories and so many funny memories with much of my family. And I think about that, and I also think about how storytelling is, is important. And there is a lot of joy and humor that can come from passing down funny memories and things. And I guess where I'm going with this is I would have the same wish Edith does. I would hope somebody would be joyful rather than live a life full of sadness. And that's such a hard call to answer. It's just such a strong, raw, emotional struggle. But that's such a powerful thing for a video game to leave you with, to leave that note in in your mind. How are you going to view death how are you going to handle it and it just leaves a lot for us to consider and starting to stop and enjoy the beauty of god's creation and the wonderfulness that's through our families and our relationships and our friends and yes death is this sad but there is so much joy and blessing that comes from it and it's really hard to sit with both of those feelings at the same time it kind of feels like you got to do one or the other and i think this game is teaching us to stop and consider there is pain and there is also joy and love and they can go together and that's a weird concept
0: yep Wow, what a conversation, Um, and we're not done. We are heading into our final game of this summer series, and it's a big one. This is the longest game on the list, and Rai, you called it your favorite game of 2019 in our first podcast. So can you give us a teaser for Outer Wilds? Yeah, we're gonna close out our summer
2: series with I think the best indie game of last year, It's uh, a rollicking space adventure that begins 22 minutes before the death of a pocket universe. You play an alien boy scout strapped in a wooden rocket ship and you must decipher the puzzles of the solar system and escape an endless time loop. It asks questions of what do we owe to those who came before us and what do we leave to those who come after? So it's perfectly in theme.
0: Come join this discussion on my favorite game of last year. I've only started exploring the planets in Outer Wilds and am excited to continue to discover more about this little solar system and its mysteries. So don't miss that show or any of our other upcoming shows. Subscribe today on your preferred podcast provider. Jimmy, thank you for joining us today.
1: Oh, man, this was so much fun. I. Very much appreciate y'all having me on here. I have a song I've prepared that I'll make sure.
0: Oh shoot, we ran out of time. Oh no, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast was better because you were on it, my friend. After listening to this podcast, head over to our Patreon page If you're not yet supporting us on Patreon, you can still listen to Ryan's recommendations for other games you might enjoy if you loved What Remains of Edith Finch. If you are already a Patreon supporter, you'll be able to hear some more of this conversation that we cut due to time, but preserved for you, our Patreon supporters. And keep your eye out on the Story Geeks YouTube channel for an upcoming video on this game. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories
1: and always seek the truth.